So there was a violin collector. And he sought to collect the most valuable and rare violins known to man. And so he searched far and wide all over the United States, all over the world. Anytime he saw one up for auction or he found one on on eBay or wherever, I don't know where you shop for rare violins, but he he found as many as, as he could. And he built a collection over the decades of about 25 rare violins. And he would take these violins that were very precious and valuable and he'd place them in these glass little containers that would you'd be able to put on display so people could come and look at his rare collection. And he, he, he had a basement in his house and he set up the violins in like a, a museum style setup. And he had all these, these 25 violins set up and people would come to visit and watch these violins in all their beauty and And what was interesting as I thought about that story and I thought about the gifts of grace, I thought about the end of this series and I thought about how how tragic it was for those violins, those precious rare violins to never be put into the hands of skilled, gifted violinists to play beautiful music for people. And I think that that is so true of what happens so often that God, with his most prized possessions, the most valuable possessions, the the pinnacle of its creation, you and I as human beings, that he has given us gifts and that we sometimes are so often in glass cases set on on the side and our gifts are are not even being used. It's either because we're sitting back and we're not making ourselves available. So often that's what takes place. And so the prayer is, is that through this whole series, the Gift of Grace series, that, that, is that we would see the value of the local church and recognize that, that though we are many different people with many different varying backgrounds and, and we have many different types of gifts, that God has called us to come together in the unity of the faith for the proclamation of the gospel, for the building up of the saints so that all of our gifts could be used together so that we could build up one another To become more like Christ and so that through the multiplication of our gifts, the gospel can be spread out through these four walls. That's why we do the school supply outreach. That's why we do the pumpkin patch. That's why we we do any and every outreach that we do is so that our gifts can be used so that we can build each other up. And most importantly, so that the gospel can be spread through our gifts and through our service. And this is the point of the gifts of grace series that none of us would be like rare violins sitting on in a case on the stage and on the side in a museum never to be used may we may we desire to be used and we're going to conclude at the end of this message we're going to go back over what we've learned in a summary fashion and i want to remind you of why why we are called to be used but this this morning we are going to wrap up the series and we're going to jump back into the study in the gospel of john next week so be looking forward to that next Sunday, starting in John chapter 7. But last week, Pastor Matt talked about the service gifts. He talked about serving, talked about acts of mercy, generosity, and leadership. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the speaking gifts. And those gifts, those, those gifts are the ones that God has given us that he would use our, our mouth and our words. And that would be prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. Prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. And so if I was to say what the main point of this text that we're going to look at here today is, I would say the main point of looking at these speaking gifts, prophecy, teaching, and exhortation, the main point that we're going to bring out this morning is that the Holy Spirit has given believers gifts 
to declare his word for the sanctification of the body of Christ and the salvation of the lost. That is the point of the speaking gifts. The Holy Spirit has given us as believers gifts to declare his word so that we would be sanctified, so that in our lives as Christians, as we interact with one another, that we would become more like Christ. And he's given us gifts, speaking gifts, so that we could boldly declare the word of God to the world so that they would come to faith in Christ. The speaking gifts, that is the main point that we're going to see when we look at the speaking gifts. So let's look back at the text in Romans 12. And we're going to dive in and look at these three speaking gifts so we can understand it better. Prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us not be violins sitting in a glass case, right? Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, with cheerfulness. So, as we saw last week, I think I want, to, want us to understand this. Just like last week, Everyone is called to, to use the service gifts. And I believe everyone is called to use the speaking gifts. Now, there are some who will have more unique bents and skills and tendencies and gifts in certain areas of service gifts and speaking gifts. And, and we see that and we recognize that. But every one of you are called to speak the word of God. Every one of you are called to use the, the gifts of speaking the word of God into other people's lives. This is not just for me to do or the other elders and pastors in the church to do or, or for those that teach Sunday school or children's church or youth ministry. No, it's for all of us. We are all called. To use speaking gifts, to use the gift of the word of God and to use that to preach to others. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about the sermon that I'm going to preach here this morning and, it, and every sermon that would be preached. The speaking gifts you see in Romans 12 should be in every single sermon. Prophecy, teaching and exhortation. Prophecy, declaring the divine revelation of God. Prophecy, teaching. Okay, what does it mean? Teaching and then exhortation. What are the implications on your life? This is the word of God. Let's explain it. And now let's apply it into your life. So you see that even in how we preach, the teaching gifts are played out. So let's talk about them. Prophecy. And we're going to frame this all around the word of God. So three exhortations for us. The first one would be this. Prophesy the word of God. Prophesy the word of God. So That little section there. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Let us use them. Let us use the gifts. And now Paul says, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. So what is prophecy? Let's talk about prophecy. Lots of ideas and thoughts about prophecy. Lots of confusion about prophecy because of a lot of things that go on in our world, in the Christian world concerning prophecy. Let's let's understand prophecy properly. So the word prophecy comes from the Greek word propheteia. And it's translated to mean, this is what it's literally translated to mean. The ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, the will, or the knowledge of God. Propheteia. The ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, 
will, or knowledge of God. Simply put, a speaking forth of the word of God. So how do we know the mind, the will, and the knowledge of God? How do we know that? Through his word. Through his word. We know the mind and the will and the knowledge of God, his character, his nature, his goodness, his his desires, his wills. We know the plan of salvation, the gospel. We know his law. We know all that there is to know that God has revealed to us, what he has decided to reveal to us. We can know all of that through his word. So propheteia, to prophesy, means that we would declare the word of God. Declare his mind, his will, and his knowledge. Now, it's interesting. It says there, it says, if prophecy... In proportion to our faith. Well, what does that mean? If we, if we know that prophecy is to declare the word of God, his revealed revelation of who he is and what he requires of people, what does it mean to do it in proportion to our faith? And at first glance, you could think, well, it means that you need to do it in a proportion to the amount of faith that you have. So if you have a little bit of faith, well, then you're going to declare a little bit of the word of God. If you have a, a lot of faith, then you'll declare a lot of the word of God. That's what it could look like. In, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, but you need to, if we study the words, it's not, that's not what is being said here. So the word, the word proportion here, this is what the word proportion is translated to mean in the Greek. It means in relation to or connection to. In relation to or connection to. If prophecy, prophesy in proportion, in relation to or connection to, to what? To our to our faith. Well, what does the word faith mean here? What the word faith here in this text does does not mean how much you believe about something. It doesn't it doesn't mean what you believe about Jesus. It doesn't mean about it doesn't mean what you believe about his character, his nature. It doesn't it's it's not talking about something subjective, it's talking about something objective. It's a definite article. The word faith here is a definite article. It can be translated the faith. Which would be, which would be represent, which, which would be representative of the body of truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so let, let's recap here. If prophecy, which we know prophecy is to prophesy the word of God, you should do it in connection to, in relation to Christian truth. In relation to, in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys follow that? So this is what it means that if we would prophesy, that we would prophesy the word of God, and we would speak about the faith that we see in Scripture. Speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ in relation to or in connection to the revealed word of God. And so I just want to say this as we continue to unpack prophecy. We have a closed book of Revelation. So if we believe this is the word of God, this is God's prophecy, the speaking forth of his will and his word. It is a closed book, meaning that we can't add to it. Meaning that if somebody comes along and says, I have a revelation from God. An angel spoke to me. I had a dream. God gave me revelation. We don't open the book and, and start adding pages to the Bible because it's closed revelation. Can you imagine the madness and the chaos that would take place if this was not closed? I mean, you have people all over the place saying, God told me this. God told me that. He gave me this revelation. God gave me that dream. Everyone would be going around if they were really receiving revelation from God. We'd have to actually go to the book and start adding pages and chapters and verses. And, but we know that that's not true. We, we know that this is a completed canon or measuring stick of Scripture. This is God's divine revelation. And we know we can't add to it. Why? Because if you read the back of the book, it tells us Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. 
If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Okay? So before the completing of Holy Scripture, before the completing of it that was superintended by the Holy Spirit, we did have prophets in the Bible. We had prophets in the Old Testament, and, and the prophets in the Old Testament were his, God's messengers who would deliver his word to his people. And, and, and you see it all throughout the Old Testament. You see prophets declaring the word of the Lord to, to the nation of Israel, to God's people. He would warn them. He would, God would send his prophets to warn pagan nations. So God would call Israel to return, call them to return and to repent, to avoid God's judgment. You remember Jonah and Nineveh. God would, would send Jonah. Now, Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He didn't want to speak. But God was sending Jonah to Nineveh, a pagan, ungodly nation. And he prophetically declared, repent or God will judge you. And what happened to the city of Nineveh? They repented. They received the prophetic word from the prophet Jonah. And they all repented. Or, or sometimes prophets would go to individuals. Do you remember King Saul? King Saul, God gave the king a command to destroy all of the Amalekites, to leave nothing left and nothing standing. And the prophet could hear as he was coming to talk to Saul, he could hear the sound of sheep in the, in the background. And God sends a prophet to say, God has removed his blessing from your life because of your disobedience. You did not obey God. You did not obey him. And so God would use a prophet to speak to his people. When you look at the Old Testament, when you think about prophecy, you think about the prophets who would speak the word of God before Scripture was completed. What was the judgment for those who prophesied falsely? Who said, I speak for God, but it didn't come to pass. What was the judgment? Stoning, right. You can see this in Deuteronomy 18. Let's look at Deuteronomy 18. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? It's pretty simple. If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know the Lord did not give that message. Right? Right. If, if, if God is saying something to someone else and they say, thus saith the Lord, and it does not come to pass, they're a false prophet. They're a false prophet. They're liars. Someone says they're a prophet and what they say did not come to pass. They're liars because people who speak from God truly are speaking from God and they're saying this is from God. It will come to pass 100% of the time. So when we think about prophecy, most of us think about predictions or revelations about the present or about the future, don't we? When I first introduced this idea of prophecy and last week when you knew I was going to talk about prophecy, many of you thought, well, we're going to talk about predictions about the future. And in some sense, in the Old Testament, yes, there were times where, and we even see in the book of Acts, there were some words of knowledge or some prophecy that would, that would come. Agabus in, in the, the, the book of Acts warned Paul and said, and said he took off his belt and tied up his hands and said, the person who, who, who this belt belongs to, they're going to be bound in Jerusalem for the gospel. And it was, a, it was a prediction of what was to come. But what did Paul say? Okay, I'm ready to be bound and to die for the gospel. Most of us think if we're going to receive a prophecy, a prediction about the future, we would say, well, we want to receive a prediction that would stop us from suffering and persecution. Right. That's how we see it. We think of predictions. What about all the Trump 
prophecies that happened. And so that's what we think about, don't we, when we think of prophecy. All the YouTube prophets, those that go around saying, thus saith the Lord, so-and-so is going to be elected president. Or thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen in the nation. And they start throwing around this idea, these words that they're attributing to God, and they don't come to pass. You even, you even see, I, I saw a couple guys that they apologized for their false prophecy after Trump wasn't reelected. Do you remember, some of you are old enough to remember back in 1988, there was a prophecy that came around, and even the guy who prophesied wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming Back in 1988. How did that work out? (laughs) Do you remember in 2001, or or I should say in 2000, 1999, leading up to 2000, do you remember that? All the prophets going around, you know, the computer systems are all going to go haywire, the world's going to shut down, this is the beginning of the end. So what are those things? Like, what is that? What is that? If I had a quarter, I should have brought a quarter in my pocket or a penny. I would call that coin flip prophecy. Right? It's coin flip prophecy. This is not coin flip prophecy, right? We would never say that. But everything else outside of scripture is coin flip prophecy. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe Maybe not. Maybe it'll come to pass. Maybe it won't. So, so, so if we do believe that scripture is completed revelation from God and that nothing's to be added to it, Revelation 22, then we would have to say that all other so-called revelations are coin flips. Maybe, maybe not. So the obvious question that I think about is this. Is coin flip prophecy, is that the kind of prophecy that God's called us to follow? Is that the kind of prophecy that God has called us to follow? So, to claim, listen, let's let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper here. To claim to speak for God, to claim that you have revelation from God, and for you to be wrong, puts you in a dangerous place before God. And in this modern day church age, people are attracted, people are attracted to those who claim to have predictive words about people's lives. You even have, I've, I've even seen churches that will say that there's, that they have schools, schools of the prophets. And they're going to teach you to prophesy. And you can learn, you can pay money and, and have classes that will show you how to learn how to prophesy. Is that how God has set up prophecy? That it's just a coin flip and, and you can learn and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong and you can say, thus saith the Lord and, and it can be possible that you're getting it wrong and could be leading somebody astray in their life because of what you say. Is that the way, is that the type of prophecy we're to follow? And people, people, they play fast and loose. They play frivolous with the phrase, the Lord told me. Or I have a word from God for you. So how does the Lord feel? Listen, listen. How does the Lord feel about those who speak from their own imagination and attribute it to the Lord? Right? How does he feel? There are some false prophets in Jeremiah. Jeremiah's day. And they were going around speaking their dreams and their imaginations. And they were talking about, I I had a dream and the Lord told me this to tell you this. And they had their imaginations and their thoughts. And they were attributing those imaginations and those thoughts to God. And listen to what the Lord spoke through. A true prophet, Jeremiah, from the Lord. Listen to this. This is what the Lord 
of heaven's army says to his people, do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, don't worry. The Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say no harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? Has any one of them cared enough to listen I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from the evil of their ways and their deeds. I have heard, listen to the Lord, I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long would this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Isn't that so good? Does not my word burn like fire? Says the Lord, is is not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces. Therefore, says the Lord, I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say this prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these prophets. Their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. I did not send or appoint them, and I have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wow. So it should make you think twice before you say, thus saith the Lord. Again, think about it. If we believe that this is the only objective truth of revelation that we can know for sure is God's word. If we go around doing what the prophets, false prophets in Jeremiah's day did by saying, thus saith the Lord this, and thus saith the Lord that, if we know this is the only way in which in our time that we can say this is the word of God, Holy Scripture, then we should tremble in fear. And I do tremble in fear. If I would ever, if I would ever say that I had a word for someone and my Bible wasn't open to chapter and verse. Why? Why? To say those words, thus saith the Lord. To allude to that idea, to insinuate that reality, and my words would fall to the ground, would mean that I am attributing something to God that was of my own imagination. And you know what? I would be just like the false prophets of Jeremiah 23. I'd be under the judgment of God. If we can't guarantee that what we are saying is from God, If there is a possibility, listen, there's a possibility we could be getting it wrong and we shouldn't be opening our mouths unless we're opening our Bibles. Amen? But here's the good news, my brothers and sisters. We don't have to guess. We don't have to flip a coin and tell somebody, I feel like the Lord's telling me to tell you this and flip a coin versus... No, I know what the word of God says. And here's what the word of God says. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder, did he miss it? Did she miss it? We can have confidence in God's authoritative word that has been once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 
Chapter 1, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, definite article. How was the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Through the word of God, through Holy Scripture. We can have confidence when we speak the word of God. We can actually say, thus saith the Lord, when we open our Bible and we can tell people, Psalms 119, 105. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Amen. I just want to say this. I do believe that God speaks to us every day. He does. He speaks to us. He speaks to my heart every day as, as a believer. He speaks to us through the ongoing work of the spirit to illuminate scripture. What did Jesus say? That he was going to send the Spirit to remind his disciples of all the things that he said. The Holy Spirit works in our lives and he speaks to us. God is speaking today. Just not through coin flip prophecy. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking every day in the life of the believer. He speaks through his word. He reminds you of what the word of God says. Pointing you towards repentance of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts you when you go off track from scripture. He speaks in your heart. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting there one day and you're on your back patio reading and praying. The Lord brings to your mind a fellow believer in Christ to call and to text and to tell them that you're praying for them and thinking of them. That's God speaking to you. He speaks today. But he doesn't speak in these ways that I think so many people get led astray. You have so many people that are following, following false prophets that are prophesying in things that don't, that don't come to pass. And yet they keep prophesying. They keep speaking lies, deceiving people. So I do believe that God speaks today. But to prophesy for the Lord is to speak his word and to call people to respond. And this is what I would say. So often when people are following prophecy... Following prophecy, they look at prophecy as being more urgent than the word of God. You got people that will chase prophets on YouTube and TV and the Internet with more urgency than they actually have for the prophecy of the word of God, which we know is inerrant and infallible and will never change and will never fall to the ground. Where's that sense of urgency? Do we believe the Bible? Maybe that prophecy that someone said might come to pass, but maybe it won't. And we may have an urgency for that prophecy, but do we have an urgency for the revealed word of God that says there's a literal heaven and a literal hell? So many people don't have an urgency for that. And there are people all around them that are going 100 miles an hour in the fast lane towards an eternity separated from God. And yet they're chasing prophecies about the president, chasing prophecies about the end times, chasing prophecies. No, no. We need an urgency for the truth of the word of God. And we need to prophesy it. We need to speak that truth. Who in your life doesn't know the Lord? Who in your life doesn't know the Lord? Isn't a believer. Do they need to be concerned about the prophecy coming true about who the next president is going to be? Or or, or would it be better for them to know that there's a way that they can be forgiven? There's a way that they can be cleansed. If you're not a believer here today... The prophecy I want to give you here today is that the Son of God, that God became man. He lived and he died. He lived a sinless life. And he, he was born of a virgin. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross and he took our place. He absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf 
so that we can be forgiven and that all who place their faith in the finished work of the cross through faith and repentance can be forgiven and can spend eternity in heaven with God. Prophesy that. Speak that truth. And speak it with urgency. Coin flip predictive revelations by nature cannot carry urgency. Coin flip, 50-50 predictive revelations by their very nature cannot carry urgency because it may or may not be true. But the word of God is true. And it should always carry urgency. 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 You guys watch the news reports that came out? The tragic news reports that came out of the Uvalde school shooting? We all saw that, didn't we? We're mourning. I remember where I was at. I was in Louisville, Kentucky with a group of pastors and I got the, I saw the, the, the notification on my phone. My heart was broken. And then, what, two months later, a month or so later, you, we start getting video surveillance of the response to the shooting. And I don't know all the details. I am pro police officer and first responders. I'm not going to criticize them. But what is the question that we think when we watch that video surveillance? Where was the urgency? Again, I don't know all the details. I don't know all the, diff- all the things that are going on. And that, that will come to play and that will be brought into the courts and things will be, people will be held accountable. But that's what you thought. Where is the urgency? I remember one of the segments that came out, there was a dad and his wife was the one that was in the classroom that got killed. And he comes, he has his gun, he's going to go walk forward, and, and, and one of his officers pulls him and says, no. And the guy, the husband says, she said she's been shot. She's, he's, she's getting, he's getting text messages from his wife who's been shot in the classroom. Yet they, they're pulling him back, right? Where's the urgency? In that same way, we should declare the word of God with the conviction that we believe it to be the inerrant, the infallible and authoritative word of God. And we should press the implications of that word into the hearts and the minds of those that are listening because we believe it to be true. We believe it to be true. We believe it that we can bank on it, that we can bank on it. So a question I have for us all here today is, are we so quick to downplay the revealed word of God and Holy Scripture because we believe we need something else? It's a very important question to ask ourselves. So, that's my little sidebar in prophecy. You guys, was that helpful? Okay. And if for those, maybe, maybe it wasn't helpful, I apologize. Prophesy the word of God. So, prophecy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophesy in connection to, in relation to the revealed truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the faith, to the once for all delivered faith that we've been given through scripture. Prophesy it, speak it with urgency, with passion, because it's not a coin flip. It is forever settled in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Amen. Prophesy the word. Secondly, Teach the word. Teach the word. We're going to go faster. That was the longest point. (laughs) Teach the word. To the one who teaches in his teaching. To the one who teaches in his teaching. This is interesting. This is interesting. So there's two different meanings to the word teaches and teaching. To the one who teaches, right? There are teachers who will teach the word of God. To the one who teaches in his teaching. 
So the word teaches in this verse is didasco, which means to teach or to instruct. So it's the act of teaching. And then teaching is didascalia, which means teaching doctrine. So what does it mean? To the one who teaches, teach doctrine. To the one who teaches, teach systematic doctrine. Teach the word of God. Teach the, the faith of scripture. But this idea of doctrine is the idea of the systematic teaching of God's word. So it, it really, in essence, is saying this. To the one who teaches, teach doctrinal truth. Teach the body of truth of the Christian faith. It's the idea of formal teaching. Organized explanation. Systematic teaching. So, so we also know when it comes to teaching that there are those who have a unique bent or skill in teaching. But I just want to say, just as in the service gifts, all of us are called to teach. All of us. Some of you think, well, I don't know if I'm called to teach. Well, I'm going to tell you that you are called to teach. Not because I tell you, but because God's word does. Let's look at scripture. All right. Where, where does it show us in God's word that we're all called to teach? And I got categories for everybody in here. You're going to fit in one of these categories. Everybody is in the category. Are, are you ready? Parents teaching their children. Deuteronomy 11, verse 19. You shall teach them to your children. The law of God, the word of God. Talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when, you're, when you lie down and when you rise. Parents teaching their children. Together, you teach your children. Fathers teaching their children. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents, but then fathers. Now then mothers. Proverbs 1, 8. Mothers teaching their children. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So fathers and mothers, we are called to teach our kids. If we don't teach our kids the truths of Scripture, we must know that this godless culture will teach them unbiblical ideologies. Parents, we must teach our kids. And teaching is not only, not only the speaking forth of God's word and scriptural truth, but it's the protection against the worldly ideologies. That means you put a guard on their mind on, 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 the, on, on the back end and, the, and, you put a, and, and you put a guard on the front end when you're declaring the truth. You protect them from the worldly, worldly ideologies and you are speaking to them the truth of God's word. We're proactive. Okay, so parents, fathers, mothers, older men. Some of you think, well, I'm not a parent anymore. I'm, my kids are all out the house. Well, all you older men, you're to teach by example. Titus 2.2, 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older men, we need to have you teach us God's word. And one of the primary ways you teach us is through the way in which you live your life. Mother, uh, uh, older women. Next verse, older women teaching younger women. Titus 2, 3 through 4, older women. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women. Amen? Okay, so now we have parents, fathers, mothers. We have older men, older women called to teach. And we have the elders teaching the church. First Timothy 3, this is the qualification for elders, pastors, overseers in the church. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. 
means that the elder, the pastor, must have a propensity towards teaching, a gift, a desire. They can understand doctrine and they can teach it and explain it. An elder should be able to understand sound doctrine and to be able to explain it to the church. Elders are called to do that. So, how about those categories? Some of you think, well, I'm not a father, I'm not a mother, I'm not older, I'm not a pastor or an elder in the church. So you think, hey, I'm good. I don't have to teach. How many believers we have here today? All right. I set you up. I set you up. You're all called to teach. What does the Bible say? Believers making disciples and teaching them. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we did earlier. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Was that command from the Lord just for the elders? Was it just for fathers and mothers and older men and women? No, this, this is a command to all of us as disciples. We're to go make disciples and teach them to observe all that God has commanded in, in his word. So all of us are called to teach. The body of Christ is filled with people who have varying experiences and giftings and desires and callings. And, but all who are able to be used to teach others or to disciple others in the truth of God's word. Some of you say, well, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just a new Christian. I, I, you know, I, I don't understand all the nuances yet of sound doctrine. And I'm, I'm, but, but you can teach somebody. If you just came to faith in Christ, do you know somebody who's not a Christian yet? Teach them how you got to become a Christian. Point them to the truth of God's word. Whatever level, whatever stage of understanding, we can disciple someone else. We can teach them God's word. And we can grow in our understanding. Can, can, can we not? We grow in our understanding. We become more like Christ. We become uh, more, more robust in our understanding of the word of God. And we continue to teach to make disciples. So, prophesy the word with the urgency it demands. Teach the word with a heart of patience. And lastly, exhort with the word of God. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Exhort with the word of God. To the one who exhorts, In his exhortation, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. This is really awesome right here. I love this. This is so good. It seems pretty straightforward, right? If you, we, some of us have a gift of exhortation, right? But I think we're all called to that gift. Some of us are a little bit stronger in that than others. But what does it mean to give exhortation? It's such a beautiful meaning here. The word exhortation is translated from the word paraklesis. Paraklesis, which means encouragement or comfort. All right. So the one who exhorts in his exhortation, your exhortation is meant to bring comfort and encouragement. Paraclesis. What does that word sound like to, to those who have been around the church for a little while? Para, paraclesis. Right. Pastor Dom, you should you should understand this. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the word. Paraclete. Right. Paraclete. And who is the paraclete? And this word paraclesis comes from the word paraclete, which is the word used to describe the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The paraclete, he comes alongside and to encourage and to comfort. So, to the one who exhorts in your exhortation. So, what does it mean to exhort somebody? It means to come alongside of them. Everyone's on their own journey, going through their own struggles and their own pain. Their own difficulties and their own trials. And if you are called, we're all called to be exhorters, to exhort. It means that as they're on their journey, we, we come alongside them in their journey. 
And we walk with them. We support them. We encourage them. Isn't that beautiful? What a picture. I was thinking about where do we see this in Scripture, and I could have had a whole bunch of Scriptures to show you this picture of believers coming alongside other believers to exhort, to encourage. But I thought about in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul went around to the churches to exhort them, to encourage them, because they were very discouraged about the way, about following Christ, because they were getting persecuted. They were, they were, they were being hated because of their faith. And it culminated in Paul receiving one of his stonings. He was left for dead. They thought he was dead, but the Lord raised him up. And he comes and goes to the different cities and the churches that he had been. And he comes just to show them that the Lord is faithful. Just to encourage him. And listen to what it says in Acts 14, 22. As Paul began to go to the different churches, he says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue. Encouraging them to continue. In the faith. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to exhort somebody? It means to come alongside them. And encourage them. Continue. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't abandon your faith. God is faithful. God is good. He will never fail. His word will never pass away. Continue, continue, don't give up, don't backtrack, don't, don't recant, don't fall back, continue, press in, you can make it, you can get through it, it's gonna be okay. God will heal, God will restore, God will be faithful, continue, encourage them. Have you ever felt like quitting and you need somebody to come and tell you to continue? Continue, don't give up. Encouraging them to continue, exhorting them to continue in spite of the tribulations, continue. In the faith. Exhortation. It's kind of like this. There was a a storm that came. Some flooding rains that came to a city in Iowa. The waters came and flooded out a small rural city there in Iowa. People came in the aftermath to go look at all their houses. And we've had some experience like this, don't we? You go look at all your houses and you, you go in and you're trying to get all the stuff that you can, you can save and, and people are walking out of their houses with bags and bags and boxes of things. And there was this young boy that was walking out of, the, out of his house and he had a backpack on full of stuff and he had one bag on this arm and three bags on this arm and he had stuff tied around his waist and he had all these things. He's carrying all these goods and possessions out of his house and he's trying to salvage and he's walking really slow and not only does he have all these things all around him that he's carrying, he has a young boy on his shoulders. So he's got the bags and the goods and the backpacks and all this stuff he's carrying his way down and then he's got a, a boy a young boy on his shoulders, and he's carrying the boy with him. The police officer who's going around trying to help everybody out, he comes up to the boy and he says, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing that you have all these bags and these things that you're carrying? You, you don't have to carry the boy. He's too heavy for you. He's too heavy. Can I help you out? The boy looks up at the police officer and he says, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Exhortation. Hey, continue. You can make it. Come alongside. Support. Lift up. Build up. He ain't heavy. You, you ain't heavy. You're my brother. You're my sister. I shared with our elders, we meet once a month 
as elders, 13 of us. We meet once a month to discuss the life of the church and how can we better shepherd you and love you. And this last elders meeting, I read from a book called 40 Questions About Pastoral Ministry. Question number 16 talked about bruised reeds. Those that are wounded and bruised in church, whether it's because of sin that they're, they've been caught in and they're overwhelmed with guilt, whether it's life struggles and tragedies and trials. And, and this is what I read from the book to us as pastors. This is our calling throughout his ministry. Jesus came face to face with bruised reeds who carry heavy burdens. Pastors face 21st century versions of bruised reeds with the weakness, the guilt, the fear and the weightiness shared in the first century. As Jesus modeled, pastors must learn to shepherd bruised reeds with mercy, humility, gentleness, and grace. And this kind of compassion honors Christ and lovingly shapes pastoral ministry. Amen? And as we love and shepherd you in those ways, it builds your faith so that you can love and shepherd others in that way. So how can we come alongside? Let's make this practical. How can we come alongside fellow believers in exhortation? Real quickly, we're almost done. Speak the truth when it is needed. Speak the truth that is needed. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So coming alongside and exhorting could mean that there is truth that is needed in that moment, and you need to speak the truth that is needed for your brother and sister in Christ. Ephesians 4.25, But before you get to Ephesians 4.25 and you're speaking the truth, Don't speed by Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Amen? Speak the truth that is needed. Here's another way we can come alongside and exhort and encourage. In humility, restore a brother or sister fallen in sin. Oh, may we never throw away the bruised reeds. May we never condemn them and speak down to them. May we restore them. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone... Brothers, not the world, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So speak the truth when it's needed in humility Restore a fallen brother or sister with grace. Thirdly, with grace and love, support those who are suffering. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. Amen. I could have a huge list here, but let's just look. Pray. Here's the last one. Pray for one another. Here's how we can exhort and come alongside. Pray for one another. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You may be healed for the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Amen. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Use those gifts. Prophesy. Declare the word of God with urgency. This is the word of God. It's not a coin flip. It is the in- inspired, infallible, inerrant, never fading away word of God. And we can speak it with confidence and knowing that it's true. So prophesy that word. Teach the word. And exhort with the word. And why do we do that? Why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we, why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we speak? Why do we, why do we care about the body of Christ? Why do we support and serve? What did we learn? Because of the great mercies of God, present our lives as a living sacrifice. Here am I, God. It's the least I can do. 
So I may not feel like my gifts are very great. I may not feel like that, that I'm really needed. But because of your great mercies, because of all that you've done, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice to you. Here's my life. Use it. Something else we learned a couple weeks ago was that division is our tendency. Our tendency is to, to divide. Our tendency is to divide over secondary issues. To get offended, to get hurt, to, 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 to gossip, and to talk about one another. But what did we learn to fight against division is that humility is essential for the body to function properly. Humility is the essential quality. We also learned that we are many members yet with diverse gifts and we need to use them to serve and to speak. So here's the conclusion of the whole series of the gifts of grace. Let's surrender our life to Christ to be used by him in the areas that God has called us to because of his great mercy. And let us not walk in division, but let's walk in humility. Let us be eager to serve and to bless and to love one another. And let us serve and let us speak. Let us give and let us teach and let us exhort one another. Amen. And I end with Hebrews 10. We, we read it earlier. Jacques read it earlier. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. But encouraging one another. And all the more. And all the more. As we see the day drawing near. Amen. Would you pray with us? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gifts that you have given all of us, Lord. Every one of us in here who are believers, you have given us gifts to use for the body of Christ, to spread your word, to do the things you have called us to do. I pray you would give us the strength and the boldness to go out and to fulfill that, Lord. We love you. We thank you. I pray that you bless everyone here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.